This episode of Value Hive is brought to you by Tegas. If you enjoy listening to Value Hive, you'll love the Tegas product. Tegas has the world's largest collection of instantly available expert interviews on all the public and private companies that you care about. All you have to do is log in. So if you're tired of high cost and time consuming expert research calls, give Tegas a try and see for yourself why many of the most trusted and well-respected hedge funds, mutual funds, family offices, allocators, and VCs rely on Tegas to scale their expert research and to get the critical information they need faster than ever. You can sign up for a free trial at tegas.co forward slash value hive. That's tegas.co forward slash value hive. And as a personal anecdote, I use Tegas literally every single day. It's the first resource I use when I start researching uh, a new investment, and it's one of the last things I do uh, before I finish up rounding out my research, and I know you'll love it as much as I do. Before we dive into today's conversation, I want to talk to you about MIT Investment Management Company, also known as Matimco, the investment office of MIT. Each year, Matimco invests with a handful of new emerging managers who it believes can earn exceptional long-term returns in support of MIT's mission. In order to help the emerging manager community more broadly, they created EmergingManagers.org, a website for emerging manager stock pickers. For those looking to start a stock picking fund or those just looking to learn about how others have done it, I highly recommend this site. You'll find essays and interviews by successful emerging managers, service providers used by MIT's own fund managers, essays Matimco has written for emerging stock pickers, and more. Matimco also occasionally and opportunistically hires new members for their investment team. To view the job description, please visit matimco.org slash global dash investor. That's M-I-T-I-M-C-O dot O-R-G slash global dash investor. The Matimco team spends their time learning about great businesses and investments, working with exceptional investors around the world in order to support generations of MIT innovators. Today's episode is also brought to you by Marhelm Data. Marhelm is an information service for investors to find real value in an overvalued market. With a focus on shipping and commodities, Marhelm helps you stay on the pulse of global trade, track global sentiment, and identify compelling global investment opportunities. ValueHive listeners can get 20% off a Marhelm Data subscription by using the code VALUE at checkout. That's V-A-L-U-E at checkout. Head on over to marhelm.com, M-A-R-H-E-L-M.com to get your discount today. Judd, this is a Christmas special. We did this within 24 hours notice. You shot me an email and you were like, hey, we should talk about this. And I read it and it looked awesome. It looked exciting. It looked weird. And there's pages and pages of court documents, patent filings, patent infringements, the TSA, the government, venture capital, all wrapped in one. And I think it'll be a great holiday break for listeners that want just to listen to a cool story. And so I'm going to try to do my best to uh, stand out of the way and, 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 and kind of let you take it with this really interesting situation going on. Sure. Uh, before we jump in, um, I have to make a little disclaimer. So we're not talking about any stocks. This is a PA investing story about the one of the biggest lawsuits ever against the United States government. Um, it's, uh, it's an ongoing litigation. I was not on the inside. I'm not a lawyer. I invested in this thing. We're going to be talking about some people and some legal analysis. Some of this is based on my memory and may or may not be true, especially when I'm talking about two people. Uh, one is the DOJ lawyer and one is the uh, TSA's lawyer. Um, keep in mind, some of this is narration, you know, similar to the truth, whatever. None of this actually has to be exactly true because I'm remembering it and some of it I'm like merging characters and whatnot. So part of this is, we'll call this historical fiction in some, some regards. So please remember like all the safe harbors and whatnot. Like if you really want to know what actually happened, you have to read all the filings and really go in and so forth. And some of this is uh, a story. So um, with that, um, the, the reason what I, I've been thinking about doing this for a while and here I'll, I'll, I'll set it up, which is I was a young guy when I started in a hedge fund. Um, I left bank. I was the second person to leave my banking class after a little bit more than a year. The first guy left for like a land private equity venture. So I, I was very lucky to get, you know, the hedge fund job. They asked me, they said, look, you can stay and finish two years in banking or you can start right now. And I said, doesn't seem like a, a hard thing. So I found success, I'll, I'll say, versus my analyst class, certainly out of the gate, 
uh, quicker than other people and maybe like an athlete or somebody else who's too young to have that amount of money uh a lot of weird investments come your way and one of the best pieces of advice i got from a person who has given me a lot was one of the senior guys at my first fund he he mentioned to me in passing once he goes just remember people bring you all sorts of crazy investment ideas because you know we're restricted in buying single single name stocks and whatnot he, he was like i own three hairdressers two cookie businesses five bars and he he was listing everything. He goes, I've lost money on every single one of them. And maybe he was being a little facetious. And this story is actually about one that I did make money on. I have plenty of stories about ones I didn't make money on. Um, but that's what it kind of is. This is this is a p you know personal account investing story that started with a guy I sat next to at my first fund who left to start a venture capital fund with some partners um most of the fund was invested in actual venture capital stuff this was and the guy had a background in outdoor advertising and you could add on to this one outside the fund and i did and the business is called security point holdings or security point media if you've gone through security in an airport and you know when you go through the metal detectors you put your shoes and your stuff in these bins and some of those bins have advertising this business has a patent or had one it expired after 20 years on an inner it's insane like it's crazy a system of bins and a push cart to go through security at the airport and their business model was effectively to give it away to the tsa for their and they would make money they'd have a monopoly in the security zone and they would make money by selling ads um pretty straightforward now yeah. the guy who founded this business came up with the idea in 2001 after September 11th, there was you know heightened security obviously and whatnot, security lines were really slow. And he came up with and got a patent for the effectively plastic bins and a plastic push cart that won't set off the, uh, the metal detectors. He yeah. got a patent on the darn thing. And in 2005 or six, the US government, the TSA ran, he was in a few airports and the TSA ran an RFP for people to provide this for all the airports. And they started stealing his IP. And sure. the group I was with started investing in the company in 2011. The lawsuit had at this point been ongoing. Um, I invested multiple times in this situation. It became a little bit of an obsession for me. And so we'll, we'll jump right sort of into where this got hostile, which is the TSA, once they got sued in 2010 or 2011, um added into their contracts at the airports that you had to give away the rights to all of your ip hmm. if you got to deal with them and we sued the company when i say we i mean the company security points yep. sued now because that's a federal agency the place you sue them to overturn a federal order is the dc circuit court of appeals you skipped <laughs> which is the second most powerful court yeah. in the land. And the standard is, was it unreasonable for the TSA to do this? Now, the TSA's general counsel is this woman named Francine Kerner. You can look her up. There was a separate scandal involving the TSA leadership. And I, I want to say 2015, 16, or 17. And a few of the people got in trouble. She got bad mouth or sort of blamed she individually it's just to give you some context on on her psyche and how she acts she sued the government for like def defamation or some like bad mouthing her it's a 37 page or 40 page single spaced like small font loss lawsuit and you re like I, I you know you really get into the personalities like that's the type of person she is she effectively woke up one day going back to our lawsuit and just said i'm not dealing with these people and i'm gonna you know put this new clause in all the contracts the dc circuit completely r ripped her a new one in this 2011 case they were like on there is no basis for this decision this is insane what is she thinking and then what really was helpful for us we then at it was so damning and such a rebuff of of how she acted we asked for full attorney's fees now there's a huge thing so it was only like three hundred thousand dollars of attorney's fees and this is where th this whole we'll get into this the government just made 
a series of just ridiculously stupid legal maneuvers. Yeah. And this has been an, this was like effectively became the investment decision as I went on. And I'll walk yeah. through them in, in other parts of the case, which is people would say, how are you going to get? And just for context, this was an investment that I invested in. The initial valuation was 20 or $30 million. Okay. And At so was, was, was the valuation, and sorry if this is a dumb question, was the valuation yeah. based on like the present value of the litigation or was it based on the actual business of the bins and the advertising? The initial valuation was just the bins in the lawsuit. Okay. Um, Got it. And it was like, we were hoping for an out outdoor advertising multiple yep. and it was like, okay, this thing's going to make a couple million bucks, map an eight times multiple on it and you're going to do fine. Yeah. Um, the, the thing was a bonus. Um, and, and the, like the business was growing and you're like, okay, fine. We can, we can do well. And there's a few companies like duty free. And I'm forgetting the other one that does, um, advertising in public spaces that are like comps for this. So we is that, thought is that like Lamar advertising kind of like Lamar, but like, it was really, um, it was really like something else. Right. All right. So let's go back. All right. Yep. All right. So, uh, we, we had to take a little break there. I had to change the channel for the kid. So there might be a little, a slight break in the flow here. Yep. I, my kid is now watching Super Rangers. Um, the, so it, what, this was just an outdoor advertising multiple. That's all it was. And, but the lawsuit became a bigger and bigger piece as we started winning. So the, the strategic blunder, the first big strategic blunder they made other than, you know, going for this lawsuit or, you know, trying to block us and letting us go to the second, second circuit they they fought against us getting attorney's fees and why that's really a big deal we thought this litigation was going to cost tens of millions of dollars and that was their big hammer on us there is a law on the books if you sue the government and they and the litigation either takes more than 10 years or the government was not deemed to be quote substantially justified you get all your attorney's fees huh now this was a bigger litigation, okay? Now, part of this was actually overturned in 2020, but at that point in time, back in 2011, this was hugely important. So we sue for our attorney's fees, they contest. We win on 300,000 of attorney's fees. We get the DC Circuit Court of Appeals to say, yes, the government was not substantially justified. And we yeah. just like throw up our hands and are like, these guys could have just given us the 300 grand. They made, the DC circuit in an opinion that included the entire DC. So it's not like the Supreme court where nine justices hear everything. DC yeah. circuit, all the circuit courts are like 30 judges and you get like an M bank panel and whatnot huh. because it was a, a challenge to existing precedent, the entire court, including, or sorry, except for Merrick Garland. And it's like in the decision, Merrick Garland, who's now the uh, attorney general and was like nominated to be Supreme court. It was like, he had to recuse himself for a reason that I don't remember, but the whole court had to weigh in on this. So wow. we were like, and we just said, we can't believe it. Like these guys just gave away the ball over 300 grand. There is no judge over the next, we didn't know how long the case is going to take, but we were jumping up and down. Like they gave away the world. There's no judge that can ever look at this and say, you know, the government was substantially justified because they'd be overturning the DC circuit <laughs> court of yep. appeals. It was it was like this gift from uh gift from heaven. Okay. So we win there. Now the government and we start asking just at this point, we offered to settle for I think $30 million, which would have doubled the value of the investment. Yep. The government said, We'll give you 10. And we said, No way, man. <laughs> and this is another like blunder. I well. Bad strategy. I don't want to say blunder. Who knows? So why? Um, so why? So why ten million? Is that just like a token? Like, hey, let's see if they take the bait, or was that like, was there any rationale behind the ten million? I have no idea. But there is one other. You, you're, you're. There, there's so many aspects to this. The government, or sorry, the DOJ, or um, has a unlimited funding line from Congress that. When you sue them in this court, which is the U.S. Court of uh, Federal Claims, which is the only place you can sue the federal government, and the federal government typically has sovereign immunity on most things, meaning you can't sue them. This is one of the things you actually can sue them for. Um, they have an unlimited budget to settle at whatever price they want. That's insane. So, and like the typical annual settlements, I went really like you can look at like the annual thing. They typically yeah. pay out like a bad year. They're paying out eight hundred million. 
you know, or sorry, a good year for the government. They're paying, it's reverse. I'm a taxpayer yeah. too. <laughs> they're paying out 800 million, like a bad year. They're paying out like 5 billion. Okay. Wow. Okay. Um, so, but like they could pay whatever they want. They don't have to justify it. They have to disclose it, but they don't disclose it for like four years. And it's in this like 300 page document. So they can bury this with zero accountability. All right. Yep. yep. Um, they just licked their finger and we were like, no, we're going to sue you just for let's let's give you the other key numbers we were saying they owe us you know six to seven cents per passenger per year so like you know 880 million <laughs> you know like we, we were asking for like 40 million a year 20 million patent or 20 year patent life like the numbers just get crazy yeah and they were like no this is a lump sum patent like it's bins through the airport we're not giving you anything. We're like, okay, well then this will go on. Next, we they challenged the patent at the U.S. Patent Office, and this was in 2014. Okay. Some other stuff happened before that that we're in the court of federal claims, and they're like, we're going to challenge the patent, and the judge is like, go go to the patent office, figure that out, and come back to me. They lose at the patent office. <laughs> it's not a good we, look. <laughs> we offer at that point to settle for 70 or 80 million. I forget what the number was. Yep. They tell us 10, we're going to beat you. So then we end up in a trial in 2015 in the court of federal claims. Now the judge is like, you can't make any of this stuff up. The judge that we get was appointed in the mid eighties. He's an immigrant from, I think, Southeast Asia, um, very religious, um, a Christian guy. And his nomination to to this at the federal court was challenged in the 80s by the then head of the senate judiciary committee who is now the president of the united states joe biden <laughs> biden challenged his nomination and voted him down he still got on it was a reagan reagan appointee because this guy's like super religious and he was you know, a judge in alabama or mississippi and he didn't want, I think, like the diary of Anne Frank to be read in schools, not because of anti-Semitism. He just thought it was like not appropriate for young kids to be reading about death and that they yeah. should be reading about anyway, like a super straight of the arrow. But Joe Biden. Now, we didn't know that Joe Biden was going to be president. This came out later. Like I was this was the only thing that like tempered my excitement for, I mean, I hate all politicians. I think they're worthless, but when Biden got elected, I was kind of like, well, it's revenge time for this boy. All right. <laughs> get him back. Um, anyway, so we get this judge and leading up to the trial, which in the court of federal claims in 2015 and over this period of time, I first invested in this business in 2010, 2011, as the lawsuit started heating up, I had to keep investing. They kept raising money. So wow, this is, okay. it started transitioning from this is a business to like the government effectively killed our business. It's almost uh, like you became like a Burford capital situation where you just had to invest in a potential claim payout in a sense. It's exactly like that. So I was investing, per, you know, it was basically preferred capital. Um, yep. And eventually there was a final round that was exactly like, uh, is it Buford or Burford? I, forgot. I have no idea. We'll call anyway, it. <laughs> but there was one where we were looking at a similar company to get involved. They ended up flaking out. We'll, we'll get to that. But like yeah. it became just about the lawsuits. So I'm investing and now it's like the probability of winning the lawsuit. We got to carve this out from the business and all this other stuff. Okay. Now, leading up to trial in 20, late 2015, at the, this is at the Court of Federal Claims, and at this point, I'd invest in the company, I think, two or three times. It had become, like, very material to me. Um, <laughs> and, it, and it's like, and, and I'm at the point where friends are like, hey, man, uh, what are you doing? And yeah. even I was like, they're like, it can't, the government, they're like, it's been, I mean, this is what I dealt with myself, too, for, like, 10 years. Yeah. It's been it's plastic bins. You think you're going to get a billion dollars out of the government? I'm like, well, this is what the math is. And this is what the case law is. <laughs> um, and I, I just like kept going deeper and deeper. So leading up to the trial, a few interesting things happened. The trial was going to be about obviousness. So one of the biggest defenses in patent law is obvious. It's a legal term, like, and it's very straightforward, which is say you're running a business and I patent something that is quote unquote obviousness, and we'll get into the test for obviousness. I can't just come out of the woodwork and say, no, 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 you're using my patented 
obvious thing. Like I patented a fork. You'd say, get, get out of here. You go to like, you can't do obvious yep. stuff. One of the core tenants of our case that came up again and again, because it is obvious. It should be obvious. It's plastic <laughs> carts and a plastic push cart going through security. The big, a huge problem the government faced was they actually contracted us to do this. We won the solicitation, the RFP in 2015, and then they stole it anyway. And there, this wasn't the first time this happened. There was a parallel case going on. There was a parallel case going on called Fast Ships. Yeah. Which Fast Ship, exactly as it sounds, where the Navy had been contracting for a fast, small, fast ship. Same thing. RFP happened. These guys submitted it. And the government was like, thanks for your submission. We literally are just going to steal your plans and build this thing on our own. And that was a parallel case. Now, yeah. the government... Like th they can do this because it's a 20 year litigation. And that one ended up being a 20 year litigation where actually fast ships won on merits and lost because the government actually constructed the ship because it's so slow and incompetent after the expiration of the patent. So it was like you infringe, but it took them too long to actually infringe. But anyway, um, that's a whole separate story. So yeah. they, it was like a huge problem. They also had experts that well, there were all these depositions leading up to with experts. We were able to, this is back to the security point case, knock out all of their expert witnesses at deposition and just completely destroy them wow. for one. So they, they were down to one going into trial. Again, we try to settle. We're like, we're going to kill you. Will you settle? And right now we're dealing, you know, once we got to litigation, it transitioned to, to the government. It trans uh, it transferred from Francine um, Turner to, hold on, let me get this guy's name. I always forget his name. Um, to this guy, Gary Houskin. Um, now, Gary, I mean, look, I've never met Gary. I feel like I've met him because I've learned, I mean, it literally for the last seven years or eight years became trying to get into Gary's head. So let's get into Gary's head, okay? Gary makes 170, 180,000 a year. He's a lifer government attorney. He's now the head of the commercial litigation, patent litigation thing for the DOJ. He looks exactly like he's supposed to look when you look him up on Facebook or LinkedIn. <laughs> he looks like a boring DC guy. Um, and he was the one that we're like, we'd go to settle. We're like, and he'd be like, 10 million, 10 million. Um, so that's Gary, okay? So we go to Gary. We're like, Gary, we are going to destroy you. And Gary cannot be bothered and does not care. And this this became sort of the mental journey of this case. Why does Gary not care? Well, Gary has no upside. Gary just wants to be promoted. Gary makes $5,000 more every year. I'm sure he's got a very fat pension. And I guess Gary just doesn't ever want to lose and it's better to kick the can down the road. And I think Gary's calculus, and this is me interpolating a lot of stuff, Gary's calculus is, well, if I litigate everything to the ends of the earth, even when I lose, I can say to my boss, well, I litigated to the ends of the earth and we're going to lose some of them and I've dissuaded other people, okay? But if you actually employed Gary in a commercial sense, you would want to say, Gary, a robot can do that. <laughs> Occasionally, there's going to be a case that you might want to settle. Yeah. And I, I that's kind of what I pay you for. But Gary doesn't do that. And one of the reasons why this ended up being one of the biggest patent verdicts of all time is exactly because of Gary and the government, which is this never happens in a private litigation. So we go to trial in 2015. We tell Gary, we're going to kill you. We've already been litigating and won in 2011 at the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. We've won at the U.S. Patent Office. We're about to steamroll this guy. The craziest thing is on top of rejecting every, all our settlement offers, there has still been no directive from anywhere in the government to tell the government to stop, the TSA, to stop infringing on our patent. So an unbelievable aspect of this case is you're fighting us, you're litigating, but you continue to infringe the entire time. And when we get to the end, I think 70% of the value of this case is infringement that occurred after the litigation started, which like you think about how wow. insane that is. Like you see, you sue Walmart 
And they're like, we're going to fight this forever. By the way, we've hired three external law firms and we're going to make darn sure that we're not <laughs> infringing. Like, we can drag it out. Like, the whole point of infringing while you're dragging it out, I was like, okay, they're dragging it out. Like, okay, I'm going to get paid. It Like, time is money and I'm literally getting paid. So we go, they reject all settlement offers. We go to trial. And now you, you can find this ruling. It's from uh, October 20th. No, hold on. That's the wrong one. Hold on. Let me find the right one. It's from October 28th, 2016. Mm-hmm. Security Point Holdings versus the United States. <laughs> um, a few big, and this is about obviousness. Yep. So a few big things from this ruling. First of all, after this ruling, we won. Okay. It's a 37-page ruling. I started thinking, okay, is 37 pages a lot? Right. It is in the top 0.00001 percentiles of, of length of decision in the entire court of federal claims. Most of the decisions are like seven pages. Wow. Yeah, that was my first thing. Like you sent me over these docs and I'm like, is this par for the course? Like, is it normally 37? Is it 70? Is it a hundred? Like I assume these are big documents, but that's, I went back that's through surprising. this entire the judge's history. I, I only found four cases I mean, he's he's a Reagan appointee. He's been on court for thirty years. This is the at the time I think it was the fifth longest decision he'd ever written. Wow. Um, and some of just the unbelievable highlights of this case. So I'm I'm on page fourteen at the bottom. Yep. Um, we here we go at the bottom. We asked for a higher standard. Now the burden of proof is on the government to prove that they're not infringing. Yeah. We asked for a higher standard because they'd already challenged the patent at the U.S. Patent Office and lost. This is the bottom of page 14. Um, plaintiff also argued when, as here, a patent has been upheld by the Patent and Trade Office in an ex parte review, the burden of proof is increased for the challenger of validity because it must also prove the Patent and Trade Office wrong. Defendant disagrees, arguing that the law imposes a single standard for obviousness, regardless of whether the patent has been reexamined by the Patent and Trade Office. We need not resolve this disagreement, however, because our holding that defendant, the government, did not meet its burden of clear and convincing evidence of obviousness. They lost so bad, it doesn't even matter. <laughs> okay? The, the unbelievable, and this is where it gets into incompetence. I'm in page 20, page 26. Okay. We knocked them down to one expert. And... You know, everybody assumes that people, the other side's intelligent. Sometimes they're just awful. So you have one expert. We've offered to settle. We tell you we're going to kill you. Maybe you want to prep your witness. I don't know. We ask in trial a rhetorical open-ended question that we thought was kind of a throwaway. We, we figured they'd have, a, they'd have an answer for it. Um, they'd have an answer for it. Yeah. And... Their expert was an expert in security, had advised multiple airports on airport security over the years, including around September 11th. Yep. She had never recommended what we did. So the whole trial is about obviousness. And we say to their expert, expert, hey, you know, you're saying it's obvious. You were at these four experts, you were at, you know, you were consulting at all these airports. You never recommended this. What do you have to say about that? Now, this is a, a question that the government should know. Housekin should know is coming. This is so, like, of course this is coming. Give her an answer. We get, and this is now on page 27, when asked why, uh, this is literally word for word from the decision. When asked, all right, she did not offer a cart in any capacity as a solution to the problem of the growing security lines, let alone the dual cart method is laid out in claim one of the 460 patent. Ask when asked why on cross examinations, she stated that lack of bins at the airports she studied did not suggest a solution that involves speeding up the return from the from one end of the checkpoint to the other, and that she has otherwise struggled with that very question. Case closed. <laughs> You're saying it's obvious. Your one expert admits it was so not obvious she can't figure out why she didn't do it and we look at the cover i wasn't there i get this phone call from the guys in the room when this happened they're like we got a perry mason moment we can't believe it (laughs) the case is over it's not obvious wow um who could ever who could ever okay could you stop doing that you're gonna break it okay you want to watch your show 
Okay, I'm using the computer for work. You can use it after me, okay? Uh, you can use it after, okay? I Here's the headphones. Can you hear me still? All right. Yeah. Here, I got to talk to my friend, okay? Um, okay. So, <laughs> I just had to take the headphones off. My kid demands them. All right. <laughs> this is it's a holiday episode. People can appreciate. I'm 42 and <laughs> year old daughter slash boss. Um, <laughs> you couldn't believe it. I mean, it. Like, this is like one of the things that got me sort of emotionally into this is the dynamic of you want to believe your government is competent. Yeah. This is this is a fireable offense at every law firm in the world. Like you had one job, Gary. One. You have one effort left. And she gives away the entire case. It's not obvious. And you couldn't even prepare her while you were like, what on earth? Now you can go to the end, like there's a bunch of stuff. The judge really hits them over the head. And he keeps saying, you ran an RFP, you know, for to fix the security lines at the airport. They submitted it and then you stole it. Like, yeah, can't say that this was obvious when you asked for it and you're using it. There's an internal document that TSA put out celebrating how good the security bins were. <laughs> out in their effectiveness um you know and that like it was put on the tsa bulletin it was like this is the greatest thing ever it saves us time and all this other stuff <laughs> you know we're sitting here like this is so damning so the judge ends the thing and now, now i'm on page um 36 we yep. find that the balance of evidence regarding the objective indicia of non-obviousness weighs strongly in favor of the plaintiff that's us mm -hmm. Plaintiff has shown unexpected results from its patented method, a long-felt need in the industry for the solution provided by the patent, widespread failures of others to relieve congestion in airport checkpoints prior to using the trades and cards method, universal copying of its method, and professional approval by the defendant itself. Seems pretty cut and dry. <laughs> in some, without some testimony from a person skilled in the art of why he or she would combine the elements described in the prior art and use them in the manner taught by the patent. So the point on that sentence was they tried to argue that like existing patents, if you combined them, could have gotten you there. And we were like, no. basically, basically, basically what that what sentence that was saying, saying it, was, it was, hey, hey, somebody could find a way to make it seem like it was obvious at one point. Yes. But again, like they're in deep trouble because they ran an RP. We gave it to them. Yeah. And and then also keep in mind, at this point, it's 20, the ruling came in 2016. It took a year. That's, man, I was just stunned at how slow everything is. You go to trial in 2015, you get a ruling yeah. a year later. Um, <laughs> at this point, the patent, I think, was from uh, to, uh, 2023, and they've been infringing since 2006 or 2007. Wow. The judge is writing this opinion about you infringing on their patent. You've been infringing for 10 years and are still infringing. While he's writing the opinion, <laughs> what I just go back to it like, what commercial litigant would ever do that? None. This is the government. That's why the, the damages became big. So, going back to it, on its face, the patent is simple and employs common implements. Patents are presumed valid, however, and courts must guard against exercises in hindsight. The lack of testimony regarding the reason to use trays and carts in the matter taught by the patent in combination with numerous objective indicators of the invention's novelty led to the conclusion that the defendant has not proven by clear and convincing evidence that the patent in, su in suit was obvious at the pri patent's priority date hmm. just it, like a total and complete win yeah um wow. we offer to settle again <laughs> <laughs> after this for i i think 100 million and they again they offered us 10 million they then in 2017 uh challenged standing so now, what does that mean stand like we don't have standing to file suit against the government their argument okay. was and it was uh, about a 13 page ruling that we bought like the company's like, corporate entities changed over time and it was basically like the new entity doesn't own the patent it was a ridiculous lawsuit yeah. and the key line from that was the judge goes 
look, it's a story. It, it's a sordid corporate history. All the players are the same. There might have been some legal mistakes. Unfortunately, the the government has not shown how they were damaged by this. Dot dot dot. Other than the fact that they can be sued, and they're basically saying I was damaged because they screwed up, and that should have given me a loophole out of the lawsuit. <laughs> right. Um, which is just crazy. Um, we keep trying to settle, and again, presidential administrations change. Yep. So now we're dealing with the Trump administration on this, and we were hoping with the Trump guys were like, "All right, you you can like blame Obama on this, like just settle." And Gary was just so adamant internally, telling everybody, "I'm gonna win, I'm gonna win," and I think he put his bosses in this really tough position where. It was going to be a big check and you really want gary running around maybe leaking to the press like the trump you know a trump appointee gave some wall street guys you know not not that we're, i mean the the biggest owner of this company is the inventor he's like sort of this uh interesting character he's like mid-60s and i think that this is this is like his retirement like he i mean it's a very sympathetic story like yeah his business got stolen by the U.S. government. He had to get outside money to like help fight it. But like, wow, you know, yeah. But for that outside money, he would have been run over by the U.S. government. Um, they tried to make it about Wall Street guys, blah, 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 and I, I think it just really boxed people. And I mean, towards the end of the Trump administration, again, we tried to settle. We're like, guys, you're leaving. This is the right thing for taxpayers. We will show. Like, I mean, we were asking still for over nine hundred million bucks at this point in time. And we're like, take a hundred. It's a win. Like you can, like this guy's an idiot. And Gary has just been for his whole life. It's just been completely adamant. Wow. We now the next phase of this is a damages trial. So we had to raise money again um, around this point in time. And this was like a straight up Burford or Buford capital type raise where it was, you only get the money from the litigation. It's a lot more. You got to take risks. The lawyers were also taking upside um, as a part of this. And that was part of my investment decision, which is I looked where the lawyers demanded a strike, and it was Shepard Mullen in Chicago. Um, is a lot of, they, they've done an unbelievable job. I think it kind of became a crusade for them too. They're mm -hmm. very good at, at. I mean, they have just. I mean, Gary's incompetent, and these. The other side of this is our lawyers, which is vicious and so good. Yep. <laughs> um, and but for me, like the investment decision, I mean, because the the checks kept getting bigger and bigger um it it was like okay well shepherd mullen and the lawyers are taking hey maya girl what do you want we gotta keep this closed okay what do you want oh you want more muffins okay um so all right good muffins wow this is this is like a true holiday party thing it really is um, <laughs> so if shepherd mullen and the law firm's taking you know some part on contingency they're pretty yeah. smart guys because i kept asking like i can't what do i know and i'm a little bit of an intellectually arrogant guy and i'll admit that that's definitely a personal flaw of mine <laughs> um, i didn't think i was getting it wrong i thought i had it dead um there you go sit sit on the top sit right here though okay okay have your water um uh, it was a nice secondary check for me a check on my my thinking that all these guys were spent i mean the legal fees are eight figures that were willing to take upside only showing their strength in the case and i kept saying to them i'm like are we communicating to gary like hey man we're a real law firm and we had some other like political consultants trying to help us interact with the doj they were taking upside only and these were like incredibly impressive people too hmm. and we kept saying to the doj the people above gary like do you think we're kidding like Gary's a 10. He's a 180,000 year bureaucrat with every incentive just to drag this out. We're telling you, we are taking massive risk. We think we're right and we're going to bury you. Like, yeah. you think this is a bluff. And, and I think it, it, it's like something that, again, like in a corporate world, if you were suing Walmart, it like alarm bells would be ringing, you know, off. But like, because you're dealing with the government and all of this is office politics and inside baseball. Like these people just don't care. And so yeah. again, like as this drags out, we go to trial in 2020 and I would just point out the government is still infringing. They, they barely at one airport, they attempted a workaround that failed. Um, 
They're still infringing. It's great. Like the patent runs out of life in I think 2020, uh, I think this year, 2023. Okay. And, you know, you're sitting there in 2020. I'm like, what on earth? Now the judge did get COVID. That was the other scary thing. And he's, I think he's an 80 year old guy. I was terrified. Oh, wow. Um, and I mean, obviously I don't want him to die on a personal level. <laughs> that came out of it. But like on a selfish level too, like, yeah, I was like, you have to be kidding me with like COVID and like air travel stopped and that impacted, um, you know, the economics lawsuit because we were literally yeah. just serving royalty. But like, so I dodged COVID, you know, vis-a-vis -vis this lawsuit, we get the hearing and we, again, had offered to settle and we're like, we're going to bury you in trial. And the, the damages trial was where I think everybody had this realization that Gary Houskin is an emperor with no clothes because we just couldn't know like most people just couldn't believe that he would act so stridently if he didn't have an ace up his sleeve and right. we just murdered them in the damages trial um like utterly murder so this is a 77 page document um 74 page document which is also pretty long um yeah. october 22nd 2021 just some um, highlights, okay? There's a lot of aspects to a damage patent damages trial. So, like, let's go to page 38. Okay. They're talking about, they advanced this idea that there was a non-patentable alternative that they had, which is combining stuff, okay? Yeah. And they're like, they could have used that to bludgeon us in a hypothetical negotiation. Page 38. Plaintiff's expert was a checkpoint team manager, blah, 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 He identified several inadequacies of the alternative that would, in his view, have rendered the alternative system unacceptable for widespread use by the TSA in 2005. Quote, the goal for the TSA was to calm the checkpoint down and an aluminum hand truck going through a metal detector caused significant destruction. <laughs> okay, so let's let's unpack that. We have a patent on something for security zones. It's all plastic. So that way it like speeds it up. They're like, no, 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 no. We we could we we could bid them down in 2005 because of an aluminum. We're like, are you kidding? Like, what it's so keystone cops, but this is get like and Gary was like, I'm gonna get you a trial. We're like, you got us, you got us. <laughs> what? Wow. Um Page 39, and this is um, a really huge point um, from that, that comes up multiple times again. It was one of our best facts. Yeah. Top of the page, what the court, this is page 39, what the court finds more telling, this is directly from the decision, however, is the fact that once the card system was not, is that one card system, an alternative that is, was not developed in the 16 years following 9-11. Yeah, so that like it was never it was never used in any capacity whatsoever. No, no alternative was. And that's what the judge so the judge threw out all 74 pages of the damages ruling. Wow. And I think there was a there was a ruling in 2018 or 2019. It was the only one against this. It was a small like procedural thing. And the judge kind of snapped back at us and it was the first time we lost anything. And I think what was going on too was the judge, if you read all all the things. I think the judge finally had a moment in 2018, 2019 where he's like, you know, maybe I'm just being an idiot and reading this all wrong. And, you know, he, he probably was getting pressure from colleagues and we, we, we found out later that he indeed was. Um, and, you know, so he sort of like lost the ball a little bit in his head because so much time is this decision that came out in 2021, the 74 pager that I'm reading for was him literally throwing up his hands and this is the updates i was getting from the lawyer from our lawyers throughout the damages trial was the judge is like rolling his eyes at the at, at the government like wow why am i here you guys are this is the dumbest defense i've ever how has this not settled and you and know remember and I, you guys you guys originally put up what said 30 million like that was your original number like hey Give us 30 million, we'll go away, we'll settle. And now 30 million 
threw under the rug, ballooned into this $900 million monster. Claim. Claim. And we'll, we'll, we'll get to this at the end. The, the judge ruled yeah. against them for the headline it's of just, about It's just crazy. The amount of- $110 million, you add up all the delay damages, the ruling yep. against them is for about $200 million. And I mean, it all, it all it all goes back to the idea that they've got this unlimited budget, so there's no incentive for them to file in some sort of cost-effective way. So, yes, but the, the flip side of that is you would expect some level of competence. So yeah. go to page 41. They start arguing of, of the decision. We're a decade into the litigation. Right. They, for some reason, the damages trial invent this whole thing. You can Google, if you get the doc, you can Google the word pivot step. They start arguing in this ridiculous way that the patent says that we service, you know, from the distillate end to like another end of the um, security like apparatus. And they were like, yeah, once it gets six feet away and the, and the TSA operator has to make a pivot step, you no longer are patentable. This was three days of the hearing over a pivot step. And the judge finally smacks them around in the decision and basically says, Hey guys, pivot step or no pivot step? I don't understand pivot step, but it's carts and trays, and yeah, it covers the whole security zone. Um, then page forty-three. This was the other thing that you just like. None of this you can make up. It's like the dog ate my homework. They had one expert to refute damages. The way they calculated it, they had their expert on page forty-three do a study of. I think it was 40 or 50% of the airports over a nine month period between 2018 and 2019. And they said, you need to extrapolate those results across all 20 years of the patent. That's what they went in with. Um, wow. And then they argue <laughs> that we shouldn't be using, it's, it's too hard to measure. That was another thing. The judge, this is on page 44 to 46, I think it's 46, where the judge says, all the complexity melts away when you just evaluate patent use by number of passengers going through security. Yep. Logically. <laughs> it's just unit economics. <laughs> unit economics. Um, page 48, it is also telling that this is I'm quoting, despite the pendency of this lawsuit since 2011 and the concerted efforts of the TSA to design around the patented method, plaintiff's method, that's us, has been adopted wholesale around the country. Contrast that with the spotty use of the alternative and the very late developments of the alternative to this patent. We conclude that the alternative was not sufficiently attractive to dissuade the TSA negotiators from considering paying for the more attractive alternative. In wow. addition, for reasons explained below, we are persuaded that it was not even available in 2005, albeit for some of the same reasons that it wasn't an attractive alternative. Yeah. This judge is just laying into them. And then the, the big thing was in page 67. Yeah. All of the above considered, we find reason. So then they start arguing, let me just take, take back, that it should be a lump sum payment versus a royal, running royalty. And we said it should be a royalty, blah, blah, blah. huge point. Because if you a lump sum payment, it's really going to cap our damages. I'm quoting it from page 67. We find a reasonable royalty rate of two cents per passenger would be appropriate. We believe the parties would have found themselves in something like the following positions in, in 2005. He, he goes back and forth and he gets to two cents. We had asked for eight cents. He, he pulled two cents out of his, out of, out of the air. Um, but really, you know, smacks them around. And so they go through all the all the math. It's like 5.2 billion passengers in total, two cents, 100 million. And then you got to add all the delay damages all on top of it. It is, I, you know, we went back and forth on, we had a chance to settle this case where the government said, we will agree to a higher number and agree that we infringed. I think the number was like 200 million. Um, if you let us go appeal the verdict right now. And we decided that we, this was before the damages trial. And we said we didn't want to because we thought 
that the damages trial itself will bring out more findings of fact that would make it virtually impossible for the government to beat us on appeal, which is right. Yeah, which sense. is what what we got. So we basically got the two hundred million they were going to sell with anyway, with the further finding of fact. So that happens in twenty twenty one. After which we offer to settle for one hundred and twenty five million. The government counters at ten. <laughs> It just makes no sense. All right. So then the last, this is, all right. So then the government says we, the main lawsuit was on what are called like tier category one airports, which are yep. the big ones. Yep. The, the, this big decision in, in 2021 leaves open for calculation all the small airports. That amount is about 20 million in dispute. Now that's the amount in dispute, like at yep. two, you know, number of passengers and whatnot, you know, Okay, we can maybe it. So, what the real number is, I don't know, 15, somewhere between 15 and 25 million bucks, right? The government then asked for four, a four year discovery process that will cost, they're still infringing between delay damages and everything. That four year delay will cost the government $50 million. The judge at this point loses it. Um, and now I don't, I wasn't in the room. He kind of lost it. Supposedly, he lost it on the attorneys after the 2011 decision, which is he brought everybody back to chambers, supposedly sat with the attorneys. And since I'm not an attorney, I, I'm getting all the secondhand looked at the government and said, I got a lot of grief over the 2016, you know, ruling from a lot of my colleagues. I have lived with this for five years. What you presented was the most ridiculous and stupid. <laughs> I can't believe it. So part of the reason, you know, we got such a strong opinion ended up being the like all the reasons like the government, you know, it's ridiculous, but the government just like amplified. So we got that when the government then asked for four years on a 20 million dispute that we said, your honor, it's going to cost 50 million bucks for sure to delay this thing four years to fight over 20 million bucks. How is this? It's insane. This is Gary. This this is this is the Gary story. So the way where where this is today, yeah. We so some insurance companies show up, and they're yeah because they're like let's get some money out. We we've got some so some we had a multi party insurance company bid to insure the verdict. We got multiple insurance companies who are taking massive risk for a small premium. Well, relatively small. Gave us an insurance policy to ensure the value of the verdict in the hundreds of millions of dollars. Huh. We then got some hedge funds to lend us some money against the insurance and got a lot of money out. I still have a bunch of money at risk, but we got a lot of money out. The last piece of insanity. Before we sign this insurance product and take money out, we go back to the government. And this is where Gary, if you have, if he if he, if Gary's still with you, I I I don't understand, but maybe. We go to Gary and Gary's boss. We go, we have multiple insurance companies that are going to write a small insurance policy like that doesn't cost us that much money against the verdict. If they're wrong, they owe us hundreds of millions of dollars. Do you really think Gary's right? That's, I mean, I, yeah, I just don't. I, I, I have no words. I mean, like, I'm not surprised that our government's incompetent, but like when you see, like how long things get strained out and how, you know, obvious this, this claim and this, you know, this, this, this dispute sounds, it's just wild that instead of trying to quickly resolve something at a, at a price that's a lot lower than what it is now, you'd rather drag it on, spend a bunch of taxpayer money on government resources and people and time and your time and energy and the inventor's time and energy. Cause like, it's so easy to forget this whole process. Like this inventor's probably just losing sleep at night up until the insurance part here, kicks here, in. Here's the shame. Uh, the, I, I mentioned the fast ship case, which was a 20 year thing. And that's, a, that should be a movie in and of itself too. This guy invents these ships. The biggest winner in the fast ship case was the fast ship lawyer. At one point, the lawyer provided the litigation financing and he got like a seven X preferred security. So he walked away with like seven, 8 million bucks. The, wow. the inventor got nothing or like wow. relatively nothing. Because oh the litigation, God. and I, I think this is like the scary, the scary piece, which is the government's clearly at fault. 
It's yep. completely unequitable. And like, you know, for the guy in our litigation, I mean, this guy, he worked his whole life. And look, from our perspective, like we put up all the like he would he would have gotten run over. Um, but for him, he's gonna do quite well and he already has done quite well. Um, but the government just railroaded this guy and they railroaded the fast ship guy. And you look at like Gary's behavior and Francine's before that, and you just it's just it's just disgusting. And like what's probably gonna happen is Gary's gonna retire. And the next guy is going to look at this and get to blame Gary and settle this thing immediately. Yeah. I mean, the questions I have are just, I mean, if I, I, I wish I kind of had Gary here to be like, what was going through your mind? Like, why didn't like really the, the, the biggest question I have is why didn't you just settle if it were not for the fact that you had this unlimited budget and maybe you didn't want to show that you took a loss, but it just seems like, it's an utter fail of the marshmallow test. Just a complete and utter fail of the marshmallow test. The best I can figure out from Gary is he is determined that dragging out everything is the yeah. career optimal thing for him. Yeah. And nothing matters. And I think there's also a circularity, which is the people who rise, there's an adverse selection of the people who end up in these seats at the government. Everybody good has left for private practice. Yep. But look, this is, I, I think the proof's going to be in the pudding, which is Gary, I think Gary's 64 now. Okay. Um, it's <laughs> the amount of time I know about Gary. I'm waiting to send Gary a Facebook message when this is all over and be like, Gary, here's my daughter. Here's my boat. And Francine, here's my daughter. Here's my boat. I owe it all to you. <laughs> because this should have, if this was a private litigation, this would have settled. Um, for like nothing. Yeah. Um, Man, what a story. That's, I mean, it's cool because it combines like the legal litigation part. It combines this inventor that invented something that everyone thought was so obvious. But then when you brought in these security guys, they're like, yeah, no one's ever tried it. And the only thing we tried was aluminum. The, the, I, I could not, after we got the ruling in 2016, the yeah. number of times I've read that 37 page document where because it's they told me in 2015 at the trial they're like we had a perry mason moment they literally admitted it's not obvious and i was like no and then the judge to put it in word for word yep i mean you can do a million trials and not have that yeah and it's just straight and that was the moment i was like not only are we gonna win gary is completely incompetent yeah. because no like you have one expert it's the honor it's a trial about obviousness. It's the most obvious question. And what a clown. Wow. Um, wow. But, you know, to, to bring Seinfeld into it, and you want to be my latex salesman. I mean, <laughs> but it's like, it's like, you want to be my latex salesman? But it's George, like, instead of being on the ground and like hitting his hands, you know, like in frustration, Gary's like beating his chest, like, yes, I want to be your latex salesman. And I'm going to win on appeal. Like, you're not winning on appeal, Gary. Wow. Yeah, what a story. I mean, I, I knew nothing about this. And then you sent me that email. And I'm like, this seems like a really, really fascinating story. Um, and again, it just kind of shows the interesting off-market deals and opportunities that are there for people. And then even even creating that like insurance product and doing that and and and, and finding ways to you know, cash out during, during, during this process. I mean, it's all, it's all fun and cool and quirky deals that, you know, make, make, I, can't, I, I really thought the one time I got excited about settling, I thought for sure we're going to them with not one, like multiple insurance companies are going to insure this. Like if, if you're like, we've already won, we got all the paperwork. Like you can sit, like we're offering you like the, the trial, you know, we basically were like, the most you can drag this out now is three more years. You have to pay us attorney's fees because you're statutorily over 10. Like you fought, the, like you have a victory. You can put a press release. Here's the press release. We'll write for you. We fought for more than almost 20 years. It is the best thing for taxpayers to accept this. We disagree strongly with the judge, but like, even then this guy, like he, he wants, he, he, he anyway, you know what? It ended up being great. Yeah. <laughs> But but the but the lesson is look I got 
I got some money in a story. I would have rather, I, I would have compounded way better with just an ETF. I wouldn't have had a story though. That's um, right. So that's why maybe that, that that's the motivation to share the story. So that's why you got to do more deals so you can have more stories <laughs> and come on my podcast. <laughs> awesome. Well, Judd, this was, this was a great time, man. Um, I appreciate you doing this a little short notice um and it's fun it's a little bit different than kind of the normal podcast yeah. but um when this eventually drops you know you you don't know this but when this eventually drops the pot my podcast will hit over 1 million downloads total um and you are a huge part of that and so it's it's my it's kinda, congratulations it's kind of it's kind of cool to uh to so have you really on this happy. episode say, say good job Good job. Thank you. Yeah, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. Thank you, Maya. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's she, cool. You know, yeah. She she is only she is only a quarter the age of this lawsuit. <laughs> <laughs> Little does yeah. she know, but like, look, she's not going to Harvard now. I'll tell you that much. So that, and that's that's the bummer. The lawsuit went on so long to watch the Ivy League self destruct. So now, Maya, you can do a state school. <laughs> I love well, it. Happy holidays. Happy Merry holidays Christmas. as well. I hope everybody has a great year. Congratulations to you to another year of success. You as uh, well. And we'll wait, we'll we'll run this back 2024. I'm sure we'll do a few episodes then, and I can't wait for it. Awesome. You have a good one. Thanks. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. This episode is brought to you by Ticker. Ticker.com is focused on bringing institutional level investment research to you, the individual investor. Ticker.com is powered by S&P Global Capital IQ and has coverage of over 50,000 stocks globally with financial data, estimates, valuation metrics, ownership percentages, transcript filings, news, and more. ValueHive listeners can join Ticker's free beta trial today at ticker.com forward slash hive. That's T-I-K-R dot com forward slash hive.